Good afternoon and welcome to In Conversation With. Today we have, as always, we have Mr. Paul Spicer from LMP Sound, who is, today has his positive pants on. Good afternoon, Paul. I certainly do. Good afternoon, Ben. And also we have Alistair Hobbs from Yuma Results. And you all know Alistair on the podcast. Good afternoon, Alistair. Evening, Ben. How are we? All right, thanks. Yes, busy. So the reason we have all got together today is that the event industry was the first to close and will be the last to open. And this has caused a lot of issues with staffing, etc. And we hear a lot locally and we know there's a lot going on nationally. And the last thing that any of the event industry can do is afford to lose the very valuable staff it has. The staff that provide the high quality events in this industry are incredible people. And without them, we then go to a situation where we open up a market to people that are inexperienced in organising events, and that is a very dangerous area to go in. So to start today, we will go with Paul. We are due a government announcement tomorrow, but we're not going to go into that too deeply because it's all speculation. What are you hearing about job losses in the industry? There's already been quite a lot, is what I'm hearing. I've had numerous people say to me, uh, they're either losing their jobs in the next few weeks or they've already lost their jobs. I've had people sending me CVs, uh, which unfortunately at the moment I can't do a lot with, but obviously I'm keeping my eyes and ears open for them. And just generally hearing about different organisations, whether it be companies that supply to the events industry, whether it be theatres, wedding industry, that I've already had to shed a load of staff. So whereas the announcement that's come in will hopefully be a very good one. And I know this podcast will go out after this. Going to be a little bit too late for some, unfortunately. They say they want to get more apprentices and apprenticeships into it, which is not such a bad thing. We, we've had apprentices approach us and use apprentices, which is good. But I think they need to consider the people that are going to be left without anywhere to go first. We need to get them sorted before we jump into yeah. the apprentices. And of course then, Alistair, a lot of this then is passed down to yourself as the human resources legal expert it's a sticky situation where people actually don't want to let people go you're not in a situation where people are looking to lay off these these staff members i think that's right ben a lot of businesses have held on we so, so certainly have seen earlier redundancies in the cycle with furlough the worry now for businesses is simply that obviously the there's a tapered relief it's going to start costing employers more from next month at the moment the pain is the government's, um, it's the tax man. If the problem comes from next month, employers are going to have to start paying employers NI and pension contributions. From then on in September, October, they're going to have to increasingly pay. And whilst flexible furlough scheme is a good idea, it is a great idea. And hats off to the government for giving it a go. The, the problem is going to be businesses in, in, in pool sector are still not going to be able to take advantage of part-time working. A good client of mine, a retainer, they had a couple of days for a wedding, open day if you like. It's cost them money. They brought staff off furlough to do it, but um, they can take bookings for next year. But what about the rest of this year when their sector is not able to offer the usual service because they can't host lavish and very, very well-organised uh, receptions you know it's all well and good somebody coming along for a, 
uh, a wedding itself. It's, it's a much bigger day. And so a lot of people, of course, are looking to postpone. The problem is, Alistair, is that a lot of these people are experienced events organisers and it's not the easiest trade to learn, is it? It's not as if no, you just go not. and pick up a diary. There's a lot of elements no, to it. And the, the... There's the whole health and safety, the whole the whole event management. You know, it's not just, I mean, my, my client, that particular example, yes, they've got a fixed space. They've also specialised in doing them down the road in, 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 in very scenic Shropshire locations. And yeah, that, that takes management. Mm. Off-site catering, uh, off-site event management. There's everybody's safety and everybody enjoying a great day. It's, it's a logistical pain. And yeah, other events, the sort of thing that Paul will be involved in, you, know, you can factor in your guide, you can do things differently. You've got to be allowed to give it a go. And at the moment, what we're seeing now, of course, is companies reaching the point where furlough leave is no longer going to be comparatively pain-free. They're going to be burning their cash, paying to keep staff. And just in the last day or two, there's been a slight tweak to the message from HMRC about the use of furlough leave. And whereas it was perceived a month or two ago that furlough leave could be used to help effectively subsidise people's notice if you're terminating by reason of redundancy. Uh, we're going back to what that furlough leave was originally being talked about as being something to preserve jobs. So it may well be that HMRC will come, come a calling for businesses that are still surviving down the line and actually say, hang on a minute, you made these people redundant. You've paid out. Government has paid out furlough pay in good faith, but actually now we want you to pay that money back because actually you were you were dispensing with people's services. Now I'm worried about this because I do think that there's going to be some risk to the government. They'll get legal challenge on this. There'll be judicial review, but because there'll be some huge employers who have been consulting in various industry sectors. They'll have been consulting whilst staff have been on furlough and they will be using furlough to maintain a standard of living for employees for, to the end of, uh, of October, committing to topping up where necessary with any government-mandated payments. You know, they will be concerned if the Chancellor expects the taxman to come a-calling and say, pay that back then people are not going to have that safety net. They're going to be on job seekers, which is a fraction, as you know, of what some of these people might be getting at the moment. It is a concern, and uh, you know, that's, that's just the latest in the interpretation and in the subtle change to, um, to the furlough scheme. And I think one thing for me, Paul, is that we're not in, a, in a, an industry flush with really high-skilled people. We have our own suppliers, we have our own people we trade with, and very rarely do we change because once you get to know somebody, it's a hell of a big risk to go and trust somebody else, especially with somebody inexperienced. Now, I know we've got to bring experience through, and there's only one way of doing that, but the events are too high-profile that we're involved with to even put an element of risk in, isn't it, Paul? There is, but I think also... What you've got to consider at the moment is there's a heck of a lot of freelancers and people, again, didn't really want to touch on this, but I'm going to do it anyway. The fact that, yeah, whatever gets announced on Wednesday, you know, should be good. But again, like previous things, there are going to be some people that fall through the cracks. A lot of them will be freelancers and people who don't necessarily run companies. But it does mean that there are a number of freelancers out there or people with the skills that have worked for many years 
as I, I said earlier, I've had people sending me CVs and stuff, but there are people out there willing to do that. So I actually think there's going to be that kind of pool of people that you can dip into. But the question is, how long can they wait, even with what they've announced, with what they're going to yeah. announce? They've basically said, if they start announcing this roadmap and bits and pieces by the end of July, events may be able to come back from October. But as yet, we don't know what type of events. So it doesn't mean the events industry is just going to suddenly all start all guns blazing. It could be literally only 10% of the type of events, which means some people in that, that pool are not going to fit the bill. So it's a very tricky yeah. area. Yeah. There's going to be people there that are going to be clambering for jobs, but I don't think that it's going to come as quick as people are hoping. Talent pool, what we're going to lose, is just going to make such a massive hole in the industry. It's going to be, it's going to be horrendous, mate. And then we're into training costs. We're into, you know, all the training costs, which, of course, as an employee, you want to avoid. This must be unusual for you, Alistair, because usually you're looking, you know, you're looking for a good reason to sack somebody here. We need reasons to keep the good people in the industry, don't we? And it's completely yeah. flipped on its head from what you normally do. Well, you know, I've seen a few recessions in my time. Certain business sectors made the mistake of cutting talent and when it came back they could not get people at the right level uh, because they they let go so many people of, of a certain pqe you know look at my own profession look at the legal profession you know you go back to uh, the recession early 90s at certain commercial areas like property law there were firms that, that just stopped recruiting stopped retaining, um, worked on skeleton staff, there wasn't the work, but then they found themselves come sort of eight, nine years later, they had a serious hole in the level of, of experience that they needed to run the sort of project work that they have coming through when times were good. And they were vowing at the time, we won't do that again. I, you know, I think this is the problem in any industry. You know, it takes time to get the team you're comfortable with, uh, letting that go out of necessity to save the business, it'll take years. The cycle will take years. It could be 10 years. The new norm will just be very different. And I think that uh, there's bound to be a lot of businesses, sadly, which will go to the wall because they won't be able to go after some of the work they once did. And they'll be scrabbling around in, in sectors of the market that they perhaps once didn't deal with and don't have the, the contacts for. It's gonna be a, a, a big problem. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, how many businesses are going to be able to support, I know, Beverly Knight who announces that she's going to go off round on a tour. You know, that might work standing in, standing on a stage in a field with certain people sitting sitting in, a, in their car, socially distancing. I mean, but the days of the mosh pit is long gone now for a while, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we, we have discussed so, that before on the, the marsh pit has gone, yeah. You, you know, you make an interesting point there. For example, I like to think we're experienced part of a team that organised events. We did a, a driving event Saturday. We had literally an hour to get 200 cars parked up. The actual meeting we held Friday night planning was longer than trying to, than getting the cars on. We did it within the hour, but the meeting we took yeah. on Friday night was two hours. Now, unless you're experienced and know why you're doing that, and then afterwards it took us 12 minutes to clear the site. In, in today's world, that stops any issues of cross-contamination, of people getting out the cars complaining. You've got a system, you stick to it, people understand it. But of course, again, we go back to, and if we lose the talent pool that we're on about in the, in the events industry, that could cause health issues then, and, and that's a scary place to be. So we have to protect what we have in the industry. We always have to build on it. People always have to come through the system. 
but they can't yeah. go through the system unless we keep the people that are running these yeah. events, can we? The whole sector is going to have to rebuild consumer confidence. It's going to take time, isn't it? People need to know that these events are going to guarantee their safety as much as anybody can be safe you know, in the current climate. So there's going to be that rebuilding of confidence. So events, events that might go ahead aren't necessarily going to guarantee success of that event either, are they? People won't necessarily turn up. Too scared. I, I don't know. Just well, a thought. I mean, I know that that first one in Shrewsbury was a was a presumably considered a good success. It was sold out. I know because I I was too late to get tickets for it. The event organizer has seen as a success. The team that run the event have put it put the heart and soul into it as they do at every event. And we've got further events now over the next few weeks. But you're mm-hmm. right about the consumer confidence. You know, I've seen posts on there why are people out the car and then you have to put them at ease while they're out the car the system you've got they're only allowed out on the right side of the driver's side etc you know and and like you say there is going to be people that won't even risk that even though you've set up a system and i mean just coming to yourself paul now we've all got systems but we've got systems now we've never experienced before haven't we that, that we're gonna have to implement in these events there's so many different scenarios for so many different types of events and also the same type of event because you could run the drive-in music event but then maybe you move it to a different site you've got so many things to consider so constantly things are going to change it's a massive learning curve it's interesting i actually did and it wasn't technically it wasn't an event but it was something that needed to be done and it was some health and safety briefing so i've done my first lot of health and safety briefings for the construction industry and they had to completely rethink how they do it normally you get a load of people all together in the room and go, right, this is what we're going to do. Da, da, da. They can't do it. They had to add them all spaced out, standing in squares. We had to project some massive things onto a wall so they could see it because they're not just looking at a chart because they can't get close to the chart to look at it because then they're getting close to all the people. It's a very different way of doing it. Everything's changed as far as we know. And it's yeah. just the fact that we're all going to have to, we all got to relearn, re-educate ourselves and mm. basically put that into the best practice that we can. And Alistair, you'll be, a, you'll be an attendee of, of your, your HR conferences, won't you? You'd have been to many HR conferences. How do you feel now if there was one tomorrow? Well, I mean, yes. I mean, obviously, at one point, as far as my requirements for CPD in the legal profession, they, they used to always be in attendance. But yes, other events, I mean, HR events, I've seen a lot of them have gone online. But yeah, the kind of big, let's get a load of high-profile HR directors in a room and set up, a, set up meetings so you can sell your wares to them. Those sorts of events, they've, uh, they've gone online. And how successful they've been so far, I don't know. I've not actually been on one. And of yeah. course, we, we've also seen each other at many hospitality events, especially locally, Alistair, as well. They, they're not going to be around for a few years, are they? We treat them as networking events, don't we? So there's going to be that effect on business yeah. as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. Local network clubs having to do things differently. Yeah, it's a, the new norm will be for some time to come. I don't know whether venues will have indoor meetings anytime soon. You can book a hotel room, but at the moment you can't go to the buffet, can you? You have room service, knock on your door and leave a tray outside it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's not, not going to work for a breakfast meeting or that kind of event or lunch meetings and things. Yeah. Paul likes to uh, keep an eye on the European market. What's the story in European countries at the moment, Paul, with regards what we're discussing 
it's quite a very different picture. France has, uh, in the last week, and again, we touched on this on the podcast, has opened up, had one of its biggest events so far. Also about uh, the day after we did the podcast, they actually announced one of their big indoor arenas was reopening. And I literally put a new story in two days after that. So I think it would have been Tuesday this week, announced that they've announced their first big indoor festival for Christmas time. Um, over in France. We've seen stuff in Holland. They've extended their capacities for conferences, expos, music events. There's a few other countries that are are doing the same and it's gradually creeping up. The capacities are getting bigger, whether that be music related or or expo or conference corporate led. In Europe, generally, it seems to be quite positive. What works in one country doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in the other country. So we'll have to see. And of course, there's nobody better to comment on on laws and everything in d- different countries than Alistair himself. I mean, you know, how different are, is the UK? Why aren't we progressing as quickly as Europe? I think, look, first of all, at the, at the moment, France France is opening up because they, they, they locked down sooner and geographically a much bigger country. So whilst they have different zones in France, so areas of rural areas of France were green zones, huge areas of France uh, hardly got got affected by the pandemic uh, but they were still very very much more restricted than we were you literally had to have a permit to be allowed out to go and do your shopping or go and do a piece of exercise you literally had to download and carry with you a permit we left it to the good trust of the british public it made for a more relaxed less sort of state intrusive restriction in a way because generally speaking, the vast majority of people adhere to it. But you see now, as we open up, you see the scenes in Soho on Saturday night. It doesn't look great. It doesn't look great to people on the continent looking at us either when they see Bournemouth Beach and scenes like that. We love regulation in this country, and actually our health and safety is probably more stringent, actually, than France and Germany might surprise you. The German attitude is actually you should take more personal responsibility and I like that approach, actually. Sometimes our own health and safety people um, can go a little bit overboard. Uh, but then again, the risks of getting it wrong and not protecting yourself are so great that um, sometimes it's easier to say that risk is too great to take that way. You've got to, you've got to follow it to the nth degree, follow our advice to the nth degree. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not really qualified to talk about health and safety, certainly conversations I've had in the past with with German clients would suggest that actually their health and safety is slightly less rigorous than ours, which might surprise you. They manage the situation differently to us from the outset. Germany have had a hell of a lot less deaths than we have had. You cannot say, oh, it's the government's fault. At least I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to put it down to that. I think there's lots of reasons. You know, that our number of people that live in every square kilometre of this country, you know, you look at it, you look at London and other big cities in this country that got hit the worst, far more greater density of population. But you see, you look at Paris, that got badly thumped because people are living on top of each other, whereas other parts of France hardly impacted at all. So I think it's going to very much depend on your on, on the type of event that's being put on. Big, big arena indoor events, I don't know when they're going to be back. Certainly with the bars open and everything else, I think that's a big, big step you see we've seen pubs close again haven't we we've seen pubs open on saturday and say you know what i'm not prepared to put my staff at risk 
because people are just not adhering to our, our instructions. There was one brewery that basically hasn't opened 1700 pubs yet. They were leaving it. They weren't going to open on the Saturday. I'd be interested to see what they're doing now in the light of Saturday night. I think most people in local pubs are going to be very responsible, but they're whipping up a frenzy when they're reporting videos and putting it on social media and on mainstream news when you're seeing you know, thousands of people nose to nose practically in the street uh, on a summer's evening like the good old days. That is scenes like that that will put ordinary paying punters off from turning up to events. It'll make the government think twice about allowing events to happen again as well because they'll, will. they'll think will. there's that element as yeah. well. There is, that, so. that will massively, if that does happen, unfortunately, it's going to be all the events businesses that will suffer, not necessarily the hospitality businesses, because it means they're going to push back the start on events even further, which realistically means we're looking at a 2021 start. It's going to be something quite bad for that to happen. But if it did happen, it's going to be pretty bad for the events industry. Yeah, it is. Gents, we could we could go on for hours if we're honest. It's been such an interesting, fascinating conversation. But unfortunately, we're looking for positivity, and it's very difficult to find it. You know, somehow we need to keep the people in the industry, keep the industry going. And I know there's a lot of people trying that and trying to do that. And of course, as I say with Alistair, it's strange that you're not looking to lay people off; you're looking to keep them, which, which in HR quite often is the opposite to what you're normally trying to do because you're trying to weed out the people that shouldn't be in the positions they are. There you go. Every listen to the podcast, please do talk to these two experts. If it's HR, Alistair is not just HR, he's a legal expert as well. He has many years experience in the legal field of human resources. Paul has put on many, many major conferences and events and is Paul can't do it. There probably isn't anybody that can do it at times. Uh, he's very experienced in that. So uh, please, we'll put contact details below as we always do. Alistair, Paul, I hope to be talking to you again very soon in a far more positive light. Thank you, man. Let's just hope that tomorrow's announcements, and if you would know the announcements by the time you listen to this, put the events industry back into some kind of order, save the good people, uh, and we can start looking at when we can get back up and running. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Cheers, Thank you. Man. Thank you.